So, I want you to, um, uh, I want you to see a picture first. This is a, um, it's a picture from, uh, I think it's 2017. This is the, uh, this is the actual Hollywood Studios. That's um, Crystal Line, our daughter Brittany, and my brother and sister-in-law. And we went to uh, Disney for that, uh, the week of Thanksgiving, had a great time. And it's kind of something we always enjoy doing as a family. And so I got to thinking about that. You know, if, if you're like me and you're going to go to a place like that, you, you got to plan for it. It's not. Now, we've done some spur of the moment trips. We've, a few years back, Chris and I were, had driven down to my brother's for spring break and we were driving to St. Augustine just to spend the day. And we hit the Florida Welcome Center and we said, why don't we just go to Orlando? So we did with no place to stay, no clothes to wear and you know, all kinds of stuff, and, and we went for a day. You can do it for a day, but if you're like me, if you're going to plan, you got to plan for it because it's not, it may be the happiest place on earth, but it is not the cheapest place on earth. And so we kind of had to make a plan for it, right? And so that's what we do. So I want you to take you, imagine this. I want you to imagine that, there, that you decide you're going to go to the Magic Kingdom. Okay, so you're going to Disney, you're going to the Magic Kingdom, and you've never been before. So you get in your car, you drive up, and you drive into the parking lot, and you see that Magic Kingdom sign, right? There it is. And you know you're there. And, and you know you're there because everyone tells you, have a, we hope you have a magical day, which is kind of something they started doing this year, apparently, so, or this past year. And so you go there, and, and, you, and you drive in, you park, and then you have a choice, if you've ever been to the uh, transportation center, you know you have two choices. Now, I would never go to the transportation center, but if you would, you can either take a boat or ride the monorail. And the beauty is you can do one over and one back, right? And so you get on the boat, maybe wherever you choose to go, you ride over, you, you, go, you wait through the line, and, and, you, and when you get in, you see that iconic view of Disney, right? There it is. That's, that's what, when you walk through the gates, that's the first thing you see. And you'll always see along the side, the, the wall there, there's people lined up getting their pictures made. I mean, it, it's crazy. And I'm married to a person who likes to have their picture made at Disney. And so I am someone who doesn't like having his picture made at Disney. So you know how that goes, right? I've been in a lot of pictures at Disney. And a lot of pictures in front of that wall. In fact, I don't know, but I can't remember a time that we went that we didn't stop and get a picture made in front of that wall. So you do that, you walk into to Main Street, USA, and there you see Cinderella's castle, right? Now, side note, if you've never been to the Magic Kingdom or never done this, I'm gonna take you on a journey. Down the street on the right, I don't even go on the left, so I don't have to. Um, on the right, because it's like all shops and that's not my deal, right? On the right, last door on the right before you get to the roundabout is the ice cream shop. If you go to Disney, don't go to the ice cream shop, you haven't been to Disney. I've eaten ice cream at 1 o'clock in the morning because I was not leaving without it. Okay, so if you go, that's all you need to know. The rest of if you like the shop, well, that's cool for you too, all right? So you go in there, and there's Cinderella's Castle. People are lined up all over the place to get their picture made, and you get your picture made, right? And then you walk back down Main Street. You walk through the gates. You get on the boat or the monorail. You take it back across the lake or around the lake, depending on how you ride. You get in your car and you go home. Spend all that money, 
You didn't ride Space Mountain, which that's a crime. You didn't go see the Bear Jamboree. That you ought to experience that. If you want to skip it's a small world, that's okay. Um, but you, you didn't ride Peter Pan. You didn't go to the Haunted Mansion, didn't ride Thunder Mountain, didn't ride Splash Mountain, you, you, or any of the mountains for that matter. Didn't see any shows. You just got your picture made, bought some ice cream, because you got to do that, and you go home. And that's it. Spent all that money, invested all that time to get there, and that's it. Here's my question. Did you really get the full Disney experience? Or did you just do enough to say you were there? That's the question. Because I'm telling you, for someone who's kind of an expert, there are some things you need to do while you're there. And getting my picture made in front of Cinderella's Castle is not high on my list. Crystal Aiken, way up here. Jay Aiken, way down here. So I meet her up here. But did you really experience everything you could have if you just bought a ticket, got your picture made, and went home? I think that's kind of what Mark Twain was talking about, this full experience of life, when he said the two most important days of your life, the day you're born and the day you find out why. This series is about the why. Trying to find out why we were born, what we were born to do, what is it and one of the things that I've discovered in my life is there are things I like to do and there are things I don't like to do. I will never eat at a Slotsky's ever again in my life. Ever. Two bad experiences, I'm good to go. If they, they Maybe they close, I really don't know. But there are things my wife knows she cannot get me to do. And there are things I cannot get her to do. It's just how it works. And sometimes in life, there's stuff we really like to do, and there's stuff we really don't like to do. And sometimes as a follower of Jesus, there are things we really like to do, and there's stuff we really aren't crazy about. But here's the question. If you're not doing the stuff you don't like, that Jesus calls you to do, do you have the, are you getting the full experience of being a follower of Jesus? Are you just doing enough to say that you are one? So think of it this way. Friday nights in Georgia, high school football. So there are all kinds of people that go to football games. And I'm going to tell you about them. There are people who love the game. They're there for the game. They don't care about anything else that's going on. You know them because they're kind of loud from the, side, from the stands, right? They're pretty passionate about the game. They coach from the stands, Love those folks, by the way. Um, you know, because they are fully invested in the game. Now, at halftime, the band plays. Now, I haven't seen a band play in like 15 years, but it's not because I hate bands. It's just because I've been somewhere else for the last 15 years at halftime. So, but there are people who don't care about the game. But man, they love the band. And, the, and there are people who love the game but don't care about the band. And so when the band plays, they get up and they go to the concession stand. They swap places with the people who are at the concession stand because they don't care about the game. And so there's those kinds of people. And, you know, band parents, grandparents, friends, former band members, whatever the case may be, you know, if you're invested in that, that's what you like. And if you don't like football but you like band, 
That's pretty much where you have to go to see it, right? And so there's other kinds of people. Cheerleader parents, grandparents, friends, aunts, and uncles. They don't care about the game, don't care about the band, but they care about that girl that's cheering. And they sit in front of the cheerleaders, and they watch their daughter, their granddaughter, their friend. They watch. That's what they're there for. They bought a ticket because their daughter, their granddaughter is a cheerleader. And that's why they're there. Don't care who wins and loses. Doesn't care how good the band sounds. They're just there for that. There's another kind of people. Coaches' wives. May not like football. In fact, I know some that don't. May not like the band. Okay with the cheerleaders. They're there to support their spouse, their husband. And that's why they're there. There's all kinds of people. But here's what I'm telling you. When you go to a high school football game in the state of Georgia on Friday night, if you want the full experience, there's a game, there's a band, there's cheerleaders, there's all kinds of stuff going on. There's students there's usually a student section, and to experience the whole thing, if you want to experience the whole thing, you should be a part of the whole thing. Sometimes, as a follower of Jesus, it's kind of, we're kind of like going to a football game. There's things we like to do, and there's things we don't. There's things that are easy for us, and there's things that are not. And sometimes there are things we don't want to do because we just don't enjoy them. And even though we've been called as followers of Jesus to do certain things, to live in a certain way, if, if, it doesn't, if it's not our thing, we just don't want to do it. But there's other stuff we're real excited about. So I want you to consider something. Take, for example, the Great Commission, all right? So Matthew chapter 28, Jesus' final words. He said this, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so we see this, the Great Commission, and the Great Commission is about going in the world and making disciples and baptizing people. And for a lot of people, that's all you see. There's something else that's involved there that's really, really important. And it's really, you, you have to pay attention to it. And that's what uh, Tim Harlow in his book calls, he calls it the great omission. These are his words. And, and this is what the great omission is. He says, we've been called only to go, we've been called to grow. Now, there are people like me who are really, 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 really committed to the mission of the church. And there are people who are really, really committed to growing their faith. And I'm committed to that too. I'm not trying to say that I'm not. Sometimes we treat that as two different things. Hey, the, the, the Great Commission says go into the world, but it also says make disciples. How do you make disciples? Well, if you're going to make a disciple, you have to be a disciple. If you're going to be a disciple, what do I have to do? I have to grow in Christ. How do I grow in Christ? And so we understand that to follow Jesus, it's not just about going and doing, which we talk about a lot around all the time. It's also about staying and learning, connecting with people. I mean, our mission statement, 
you know, connecting people with Jesus and one another, that one another is really important. And so here's, and we talked about this a while back, and so I, I want to remind you of something we talked about in a series we did a while back, and if you were here, it's a refresher. If you weren't, I'm going to just kind of lay this out for you, okay? So this is basically what it happens. When I accept Christ, I become a Christian. That's how it works, right? I'm just remind, right? That's the deal. So I'm a, I accepted Christ. I've been baptized in Him. I'm a Christian now. The word Christian means cross follower. Cross follower is a disciple. It's all the same thing. A disciple is a fully devoted follower, a passionate pursuer. That it's all the same. It's not an either or thing. And it's and we remind, you know, it's so a Christian is a disciple. A disciple is a Christian. A Christian is a disciple. A disciple is a follower. A follower is a learner. A learner is someone who's growing in their knowledge of something. And in this case, it's in our knowledge of God. How Jesus lived, how we're supposed to live, what we're supposed to do. And so, look at it this way. To passionately pursue Jesus means we must be committed to go in the world. That's important. But also to grow in maturity. It's, it's both. So uh, consider it this way. So a, a couple weeks ago, we talked about this idea of following Jesus and, and how we like people who are like, real, you know, who, are, who aren't fixer-uppers, but they're ready to go. They're not a project. They're good to go. Those are the easiest people to invite to church and the easiest people to, to talk to and, and all that kinds of good stuff. And so we talked about the difference in the burden of Jesus and the burden of the disciples, of the Pharisees, excuse me. And the Pharisees' burden was this. Hey, if you want to follow us, get your act together, and then you can follow us. When you're good enough to follow us, then we'll accept you as one of our disciples. But with Jesus, if you'll recall, it was different. The burden that Jesus lays on us is really simple, and Jesus is not into burdens. And so it's really not a burden. Jesus said, here's the deal. If you, if you follow me, then you can change as you go. You don't have to be ready-made. Because Jesus understands that the process of following him and learning about him and becoming his disciple is something you do from the moment you accept Christ to the moment you take your last breath. And you can grow closer to Jesus and know more about Jesus at 75 than you were new at 73. It's just, it's just how it works. And so it's the same with this idea of being a disciple. You know, you don't have to know everything. So the burden is this. Follow Jesus now. Grow as you follow. That's the burden. Follow Jesus now. Grow in him as you follow him. That, that's it. So, I mean, think. look at it this way. If you go to college to learn a skill or to learn how to do something, you don't go to college knowing everything there is to know. If you do, those people don't need college. And they're out there. There's just a handful of them, right? And so when you go to college, you take a class. When you take a class, you don't know everything there is to know about the class. You take the class, you study, you take tests to measure how far you go along, and then you get a grade at the end. And the really cool thing is when you finish with that class, you get to take another class. 
And, and if you do it right, especially when you get the major stuff, they start to stack together. The things you learn here are really important for the things you learn here. The things you learn here help you here. So you go to school, you get your degree, and you know so much more about your profession, your skill, your passion than you did four years ago, five or six, depending on your path and training and all that good stuff, right? Um, I was a six-year dude, so I'm, I'm, if you're a six-year, me and you, all right? If you're four, that's my daughter on it. Can't, still can't figure that out. But anyway, so here's the thing. If you really want to be good at your job, this is what happens. Hey, school's over. I'm done learning. No, you just started learning. And every year, you have to adapt. Every year, there's new skills to learn. Every year, there's new procedures to learn. Every year, you just, if you really want to be successful in life, you're always learning something new. And that's the same thing that's true with following Jesus. Follow Jesus now with all you know. And as you follow, you grow. And when you take your last breath, you're done growing. But until then, we follow. So here's the cut right to the chase. This is what it means. With salvation, with Jesus, excuse me, salvation without discipleship does not exist. He's Lord and Savior. He's not Lord or Savior. So this is kind of the quandary that we've kind of created in our culture today. We're all about the saving part, but not the lordship part. We want to be saved, but we don't want him to be Lord. Jesus saves us from hell. Lordship's about surrender. Lordship is about discipleship. Lordship is about being a learner. Being a learner is about being a follower. Lordship is about being a follower of Jesus. So it's not either or, it's both. Tim Harlow, his book, Life on Mission, uh, this is, I love this quote, he says this. If you're, and it's, look, it's, I'm telling you, it's kind of harsh. I'm just telling you up front, it's kind of harsh. But honestly, I absolutely agree with it. If you're not a disciple, if your life hasn't been completely altered in every area by Jesus Christ, if you aren't following him with every step you take, who are you and what are you doing that's tough but it's the truth a christian who is not a disciple is not a thing that's a thing the world created biblically if you're a christian you're a disciple if you're a disciple you're a follower if you're a follower you're a learner if you're a learner you're trying to grow in your knowledge of god you're trying to mature in christ right and so what's happened is because we like quantifying stuff, right? We got to we like being able to explain stuff, right? And so, for the longest time, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes, there was no programs or process or procedures or anything like that. And so then we started creating, inventing stuff, right? Uh, for example, Sunday school. Nothing wrong with Sunday school. Sunday school is a wonderful thing. Won't find it in your Bible anywhere. Won't find it before 1870 anywhere in the world. But in the early 18, the late 1800s in England, they started, they came up with this really cool idea because the kids were working all day. And so they said, hey, why don't we 
teach our kids to read and write while mom and dad are in church. And so we're going to teach them to read and write using the Bible, which is a really cool idea. And so they invented this thing called Sunday school. So kids went to school on Sunday to learn to read and write using their Bibles. That's how we got Sunday school. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. But that's how it started. We're talking about small groups. There were no small groups in the Bible. There were home groups. All kind of, that's what the early church was, just a series of home groups all over the place. That's what they were. We like camps. We like retreats. We like VBS. We like all these things. There's nothing wrong with those things until we decide that if you don't do this, you're not a disciple. Or if you don't do that, you're not a disciple. If you're really serious about Jesus, you'll do this. And if you're not, you won't do this. Because we had to quantify everything. I'm all for those things. And just so we're clear. But here's what we need to understand. Dis discipleship is not measured in how much Bible knowledge you have. There are a lot of people who know a lot about the Bible who don't know a whole lot about following Jesus. When I was a church that I served at when I was in youth ministry had a Bible Bowl team. And I, would, I was the designated driver, so I would drive them everywhere. And I'm going to tell you, I was amazed at how much knowledge they knew. They knew more about the Bible than I did. I went to school and all that stuff. They're, they're, I mean, they, they are quoting it. They know all this knowledge about the Bible. And here's what I learned about my kids. Wasn't doing anything in their lives personally because it was just knowledge. They knew a bunch of stuff. They didn't know how to apply it, right? So it's not measured in how much knowledge you have. It's not measured in how, much, how correct your doctrine is. You cannot quantify being a disciple. You cannot quantify maturity in Christ. Because this is what it is, biblically speaking, this is what being a disciple is. Discipleship is coming more like Jesus. That's it. Becoming more like Jesus. When Jesus invited the disciples to follow him, that was, that was to come be like me. Learn from me. Follow me. Do what I do. Become like me. When I journal, and I haven't actually done it in about a week, um, but on every, every time, the last thing I write, I write these words, and I've been doing this for years. More like you, less like me. Now, I do it for a couple reasons. One, I do it because my goal in life is not be more like Jay, it's be more like Jesus. And so when I write those words, it's a reminder that I'm, I'm not supposed to look like me, I'm supposed to look like Jesus. But the other reason I write those words is because I'm reminded every time I write them, I'm a long way from that. I've got a long, long, long way to go. And that's okay. Because Jesus said that I could follow him and I could grow as I follow. And if I follow him till the day I take my last breath, which is my plan, I'll just try to grow in him. And that's the deal. Jesus says it this way in Luke 6. A, teach, a student is not better than the teacher. But the student who has been fully trained will be like the teacher. Discipleship is not a process and it's not a program. Can't measure it. There's no measurables for it. It is the process, it's, it's, it's the, the journey of becoming more like Jesus. That's what it's all about. There's all kinds of people interested in going out to the world. 
There are all kinds of people who are interested in serving people. There's all kinds of people who are interested in learning and growing in your knowledge of God to follow Jesus to the full experience. We need to do all those things. Serve, go, and grow. It's, it's not either or, or it's all of these things. The full experience of following Jesus is to live like he lived. And the only way to live like he lived is to learn how he lived. The only way to learn how he lived is to hang out with people who are on the same journey and open up your Bible and read and study. Read books about the life of Jesus. So here's the thing. So let me remind you of this, and we're going to look at the early church. Life on mission is not an either-or proposition. It's going, and it's growing. So let's look at this. We're going to look in Acts 2. This is the Acts church, okay? The Acts church, uh, Jerusalem church, was a monster, numeric monster. In a very short time, there were 5,000 men involved in the Jerusalem church, plus women, plus children. Historians believe there were somewhere close to 10,000 people with, when you, three women and children were involved in that. With no building, with no structure, with no process, just people committed to becoming more like Jesus, right? And so this is what we learn about them. Acts chapter 2. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the fellowship, the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. So let me just, real quick, let me tell you what this means. Every day they met. Every day. Every day they celebrated what we call communion. Every day. Every day. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. Verse 44, all the believers met together in one place uh, and shared everything they had. So once again, to quantify this, every believer in Jerusalem wasn't in one place, but when they gathered together, they gathered in one place all over. Does that make sense? So they weren't in one building, but they were all over town, okay, meeting together. They sold their property and possessions and shared their money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Without a process, without a plan, without a procedure, without a structure, this is what the Jerusalem church did. They loved each other. They impacted their community. They reached people for Jesus. They grew closer to Jesus. They grew closer to each other. They served the needs of people. And here's the crazy thing. For over 1,900 years, that's the how the church operated worldwide. For 1,900 years. Because the church, under, people understood that being a disciple was just becoming more like Jesus. So if I become more like Jesus, I'm going to do what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? Jesus loved people. He served people. Jesus encouraged us to grow closer to God. If, you, if you'll recall, when I first, one of the first things I talked about was when Jesus said, follow me and I'll teach you how to fish for people. Follow Jesus, live like Jesus, commit yourself to the mission of Jesus. That's a follower. That's, that's all it takes. 
be like Jesus. Yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus, commit to the mission of Jesus. I'm going to commit to grow my knowledge of Jesus. A life on mission is experienced the full benefit of being a follower of Jesus. That includes growing in Christ. And one of the best ways to grow in Christ is to become a real disciple. And here's the other thing we learned from the early church. What it looks like on an individual level. Because we're just talking about it on a corporate level right now. So if you really want to commit yourself to a life on mission, this is really, this is, and this, and you're kind of mean, man, what's my next step? This might be your next step. So consider this. A disciple needs to be speaking into someone's life. But a disciple needs someone speaking into their life as well. That was all over the early church. Disciple, go in the world and make disciples. Disciples make disciples. Those who have become disciples will go make disciples, who will make disciples, who will make disciples. Last week, if you're here, we talked about, we all, we've been talking about all year about making a difference in someone's life. And we talked about how Philip was just jogging along, right? And he just asked a question and he got his foot in the door. That's how you make it, that's how you put, invest your life in someone. You get your foot in the door in their life. Somehow, some way. Saul became a Christian. Early church was terrified of him as well they should be. Hey, I'm a Christian. Uh, dude, you were locking people up and killing people like a week ago. Now I'm a Christian now. Um, yeah, no. But this guy named Barnabas said, you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll go with him. And Barnabas poured his life into Saul, who became Paul. Paul poured his life into Silas and into Timothy, who poured their lives into other people, who so forth and so on and so on, because that's how it works. If you have a job, someone taught you, someone you and, and, and taught you how to do your job. Someone taught them how to do their job. You're going to teach someone how to do their job. That's what it is. That's what we're talking about. Find somebody who's on the same journey. So what does it mean to, to speak in their life? Well, it means we're going to sit down and have Bible studies all the time. No, it doesn't. Sometimes it just means being in their life, being available. I have always, always, always had people in my life that I was able to be a part of their life on a different level. Always have. Always had people who were doing that for me. Always have. Because that's how it works. My dad poured into me and my brother. We've poured into people. His dad poured into him. And that's, and that's how it works. What works in a family, works in an organization, a business, works as a follower of Jesus. It's the same. Pour yourself into someone's life. But let someone pour themselves into your, yours one of the, the wisest man I've ever known, the most, one of the most humble men was my dad, who never graduated from high school because he had to get out, quit school to take care of his family because all of his older brothers and sisters were gone. And my granddad got sick, and there was no, he quit school and supported his family. Raised my, one of my aunts and uncles. I think I've told you all that before. My dad would do community meditations, and he would stand at the table, and he would hold his Bible, and you could just see it doing like this. He was scared to death. Just freaked him out to do it. 
That man, maybe the, of all the things he taught me, this is the one that's always stuck with me. And I don't even remember where it came up or how it came up, but he said this to me one day. He said, you know, maturity is not about what you know. It's about what you do with what you know. For so many of us, maturity in Christ, oh, it's about learning more and more about the Bible. Well, that's important, and that's fine. But at the end of the day, becoming a follower of Jesus, becoming like Jesus is not about the, the acquisition of knowledge. It's about how you live with what you've learned. That's what being a follower is all about. Doesn't matter how much you know if you don't do anything with it. It just doesn't matter. Following Jesus is a lifelong journey. So look at it this way. Look at it as a difference in a sprint and a marathon. Sprints are over really fast. Sprints are about athletic ability. When you run a sprint, your, your primary obligation is this. Be faster than this person, be faster than this person. That's it. The fastest person wins most all the time. Athletic ability, training, talent. But running a marathon is different. By the way, if you're planning to run a marathon, we need to talk because you need prayer. So, but here's the thing. It takes training just to get ready to run a marathon. It takes endurance just to get ready to run a marathon. It takes patience. It takes sacrifice just to train to do it. And before you run a marathon, what my runner friends tell me, that you run a half marathon first. And then you run another one. Once again, got no desire to do that. But I got friends that do. And then you're, you get to the place where you can run a marathon. But here's the thing. Running the marathon is like training for a marathon. It takes time. It takes endurance. It takes sacrifice. It takes perseverance. It takes dedication. It takes will. It takes stamina. And all those things are what it takes to follow Jesus. From the day you give your life to him to the day you take your last breath. It takes perseverance. It takes stamina. It takes determination. It takes character. It takes sacrifice. And it is a lifelong journey. So if you're wondering, when will I know everything I need to know? This is my honest answer. When you meet Jesus. But until then, be a learner. Go make a difference. Serve people. Grow in your knowledge of God so you can go into the world and serve people and make a difference. Becoming more like Jesus is what discipleship is all about. To passionately pursue Jesus means we must be committed to go into the world and to grow in Christ. The full experience of a life on mission. The full experience of living as a Christ follower. It's about the going and doing, but it's also about the staying and learning so you can go and do. Father, we are, um, man, we're just so funny about people and their stuff we really like. 
in life, and there's stuff we really don't like. And when it comes to following you, there's stuff we really like and there's stuff we're not crazy about. It's always been that way. You've called us to the full experience of following you, a life on mission. It's not just the going and doing, but it's also the sitting and the learning so we can become more like you. Because that's the plan and that's the journey. And that's your dream for us, that we become more like you and look less like us. And for as far as we've come, we know we have a long way to go. And that's perfectly all right because we have a lifetime of following you. So Lord, lead us to want to get to know you in a more intimate way. Lead us to want to spend time with other people who are in the same journey that we're on. Guide our hearts as we seek to become more like you and less like us. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.